called The Elements of Disciple Making, uh, based on a book by uh, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne called The Vine Project. And so far, we've asked the why and the what questions. Why make disciples? The answer we came to was because God's goal in history is to glorify his son in the midst of a people he has rescued from darkness. Last week, we asked, what is a disciple? Uh, that was a terrible catch. Uh, but uh, a disciple is uh, someone just throwing pens around. That's all right. I should have said there are some pens. If you want one, you can put your hand up and we can give you one. Uh, what is a disciple? A disciple is a forgiven sinner devoted to becoming like Jesus through learning and keeping the teachings of Jesus. It's dead simple. Now, tonight, we're asking the question, how? How are disciples made? By what means is God bringing people to know Jesus and make them to become more like Jesus? Now, to prevent this from sounding, this is all about methodology, right? So the methodology can always sound really dull and boring, and I don't want it to be like that for us at all. I don't want it to, don't want it to be dull. I don't want it to be abstract. And so to help us, I want to tell you about four people in my life that I'm seeking to disciple right from the very start. And then having walked through the content of the sermon, I want to revisit these four people to help you see what I might do next based on what we've learned about how disciples are made. So four people. Uh, let me start with Jason. They're called Jason, Mark, Howard, and Gary, okay? Yeah, take that. I was a 90s boy. I grew up. I didn't. I was not a fan, okay? Uh, but we're gonna, that's what I'm going to call them. I had four of them. Those were the first names that came to mind. So, Jason. Uh, Jason and I run a kids' club together. I've changed the names, by the way, so don't be panicking, anyone. Uh, Jason and I help to run a kids' club together. Uh, he knows I'm a Christian, but he really has no clue what I believe or what the Bible actually teaches. The first question he asked me when I said to him, oh, I'm a Christian pastor, I'm a minister, was, oh, do you believe in ghosts as well? Uh, strange question, I thought, but never mind. Um, how do I make Jason a disciple? Or what about Mark? I've been reading the Bible with Mark for about two years, slowly working through the Gospel of John. Our meetups are fairly sporadic, and sometimes that's as much to do with me as it is to do with him. Now, Mark says that he actually believes in Jesus, but he shows absolutely none of the signs of true conversion. There's no fruit in his life, and I don't think he is a Christian, based on what the Bible teaches a Christian looks like. I think he's close, but he's not redeemed yet. How do I make Mark a Christian? Or what about Howard? Uh, Luke is a, Howard is a new Christian, uh, converted within the last year, he's, yeah, he's super keen to learn and become more like Jesus. Um, he's reading anything and everything I throw his way. So how do I disciple him now that he is one? And lastly, there's Gary. Uh, he's been a member of this church for decades. He's a mature disciple. He can teach the Bible very, very well. Uh, you want your sons to grow up to be like him, and you want your daughters to grow up to marry someone like him. Um, how do I disciple him? Well, I wanna show you that the method for disciple making essentially 
is the same in each case, uh, which makes what we're learning tonight quite important. So let me pray first, and then we'll get cracking on the content. Father, we thank you that you make clear that the things we read in your word are written for our instruction. So we come as disciples, eager to unlearn old ways and learn the teachings of Jesus so that we can be more like him. So help us, we pray, in his name. Amen. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to follow along in your sermon guide. If you don't have one, the stewards would be happy to bring one to you. Uh, but I want to start off with what, I've, what the book, uh, The Vine Project, calls the four Ps of disciple-making. The four Ps of disciple-making. And the first one is proclamation, the re-speaking of God's word. How did you become a disciple? Well, somebody re-spoke the word of God to you. That's how it happened. And now that we are disciples of Jesus, we re-speak his word. It's that simple, really. That's what proclamation is. Uh, proclamation isn't just what I'm doing now. It's actually what all disciples do every time we say something about God to someone else. Uh, we can do it even when we don't have a Bible in front of us. So I can sit at my uh, child's bedside and say, do you know what, see when we're worried, do you know what helps us to pray and lay before God all the things that makes us anxious? So I could have used Philippians chapter four there, opened up the Bible and read it verbatim. And there's a place for that all the time as many times as possible. But I don't want us to think that we're not speaking or re-speaking God's words if we're just sharing the teaching that we already know for ourselves. That was as much re-speaking the word of God uh, as it would have been if I had read it. So whenever we take the teaching of the Bible and pass it on, re-teach it to others, we are proclaiming the word of God and that's a crucial means of disciple-making. The proclamation of the word of God by Christ learners, that's disciples, is the primary means for making and growing more Christ learners. So Romans chapter 10 verses 14 and 15 says, this is how disciples are made. In other words, those who don't know Jesus, this is how they, they come to know him. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Okay, so someone proclaiming this word is essential to that person, to another person becoming a Christian. At the same time, Colossians 1, 29 and chapter 3, verse 16 at the same time show that the proclamation of God's word is how disciples are made even when they are disciples. It's how disciples grow. So in Colossians 1.29, we read, Him we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Now that's spoken specifically in Colossians 1.29 of a gospel worker, of a pastor. But in Colossians 3.16, the very same process of teaching and admonishing is, is attributed to and is the responsibility of a local church family. Um, so it is for everybody. So whether we're talking about making or maturing disciples, proclamation, the re-speaking of God's word is essential to our practice. 
That's the first thing, okay? The second thing, the second P, that whenever we speak, God the Holy Spirit supernaturally applies those words in the hearer's hearts with divine power, which is why the second P is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is what we do when we live in dependence on God's Spirit. Now, disciple-making is what happens when we declare God's Word, but it's the Holy Spirit's work. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, the Apostle Paul writes this, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So what does the passage tell us? In simple terms, the Holy Spirit is actively at work in our disciple-making to give the words of the, the speaker, the proclaimer, an effectiveness that they would not otherwise have. And he works in the hearer to give the hearts of the hearer a receptiveness that they would not otherwise have. And there are tons of other passages in the New Testament that say the same. That at every point in the making of Christ learners, the Holy Spirit is the one who is supernaturally at work. Now, since it's his work, that makes making requests of God, the Holy Spirit, very, very important. An important part of our disciple-making process or method. So prayer is a crucial part of making and growing other Christ learners. It's what we do when we realize that this work is not primarily our work. It's what we do when we realize that this can't be done on our own strength. It's what we do when we really believe what Jesus said in John chapter 16, when he said that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world to convict people of sin and in the church guiding us into truth, helping us to learn Jesus so that we might be better disciple makers. So prayer not only indicates our dependence on God to work, but actually is a very, very strong indicator of our confidence that he will. So even based on the first two, if I was to pause there, are we proclaiming the word of God as disciple makers ought to? And think back to the last seven days. What place does prayer have in our disciple making? As individuals? As a church family? These are important questions to consider. They disclose true things about us. Indeed, things about our hearts. So how are disciples made? First two, through proclamation and through prayer, crucial parts of the methodology. The third part, the third part of our method, people. God uses people. He employs the people of God in this work of disciple making. We're going to think more about this, not next week because it's church at prayer, but two weeks time and uh, delve into this a little bit more detail. But tonight, I just want to say that God's people are employed by God to proclaim his word in prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. 
In Matthew 28, again, we revisit this every time we're in this uh, series because it's so crucial to us. The Lord's uh, words to his church uh, in the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Jesus is giving to them the job that he has been doing on earth. In Acts chapter 1, you see the very same thing taught. Uh, Luke, as he introduces the book of Acts in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, actually says that this is an account of all the things that Jesus, of how the church is continuing the things that Jesus began to do and teach. He began the work of proclaiming the kingdom of God for the salvation of all. He entrusted that message, that gospel, that task to his church, and his church, not just in Jerusalem back then, but right here in Charlotte Chapel and every faithful local church throughout the ages, throughout the world, this too is our job. The teachings he has proclaimed, we now proclaim. So Jesus quite clearly plans to spread the news of his salvation and future glory around his throne through the vehicle that is the local church. Now that means that we, the people of God, are a crucial part of making and growing Christ learners. It's, it's so simple. He does not routinely use other means. I use the word routinely because I would not want to suppress or limit God at all. We know of ways that he has supernaturally worked in the past. We know of ways that he is supernaturally at work in places that you might call unreached. But he does not routinely use any other means. The four things we're talking about, this is routine. This is how he works. And he doesn't employ just one or two in the task either. Everyone is employed in this task of making disciples. And I want to say that without the people of God, proclaiming the word of God, in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God, people like Jason and Mark, my friends, won't become disciples. They'll remain in the domain of darkness. Uh, people like Howard and Gary will not grow. Fine, they're still Christians. They're in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. But actually, who knows how many other people they could have reached if they had just taken a few more steps towards maturity in Christ. Who knows how much their evangelism, their disciple-making might have just seen a real surge and a real focus in their life if we had helped to make them maturer. Who knows how much more they might have given to support a church plant or sending a missionary to a non-rich people group around the world. If we don't make disciples, people like Howard and Gary won't grow. We won't see the best of them. So how are disciples made? The first three Ps of our methodology are proclamation of the word of God, prayerful dependence on the spirit of God, Thirdly, by the people of God. And the fourth thing is perseverance, trusting in the sovereignty of God. Making disciples and growing disciples takes time and energy and effort and persistence. Uh, think about what the Bible says. It says when it comes to making disciples, 2 Peter 3, 9, for example, says that we find God to be patient with people who don't yet believe the gospel. 
Every day that Christ does not return is another day of opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, this is God's gift to you today. The chance to be among Christians and to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That he came into this world to rescue us from the darkness of it. Indeed, the darkness of our own hearts. The Bible very neatly narrows our entire focus on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and to interpret what's going on as he dies on that cross. You hear words like, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, our biggest problem is our sin, but Jesus came to take it away so that you who are far away from God might be brought near to him. Not enemies anymore, but friends. How does that happen? Through repentance and faith, turning away from your sin, trusting in Jesus, living a new life for him. Ask me about it afterwards. I'd love to share a bit more about this with you or with someone who brought you tonight. This is crucial. This is a day of grace, a gift for you. Another day to have another chance to turn to him in truth. God is patient in disciple making. And when it comes to growing disciples, we read in passages like 2 Timothy 4.2, we find Paul telling Timothy um, to make sure that he exercises his ministry in the midst of hard times. You know, some pe- he's maybe thinking, oh, this just, this just doesn't seem to be working. There are plenty of false teachers over here. They seem to have this message that's maybe not as, as difficult as the one that I'm preaching. But, and people are running after him. The church is half empty now compared to what it was a, a month ago. And Paul's encouraging him, no, 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 no. You just keep doing what you're doing. And as Timothy butts up against all the obstacles that might make him feel really lackadaisical or not bothered in his disciple-making ministry, Paul says, no, no, keep doing what you're doing. It takes great patience and careful instruction. Think about what you do. Think about what it's like when you do something over a long period of time and don't see much progress. Like DIY or an essay, or I don't know, stick whatever you like in there. It's really easy to give up. It's really easy to be distracted and do something else. But in disciple making, we can't. As a church family, we can't. And think about it, even when we do something that other people don't want us to do, other people such as, well, such as the devil or governments or friends or family members, when they put obstacles in our way and make life hard, it's easy to give up. It's easy to not do it. But in disciple making, we can't. Not when we realize what's at stake. And I think this is one of the reasons why two of the most frequent words you will read in in. Acts and in the New Testament letters are the words persevere and endurance. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Disciple making is tough. It is glorious, but it's tough. 
It took me six months to get from the point of first hearing the truth about Jesus Christ to believing in Jesus. And after four of those months, I actually cut off contact with the people who were really doing nothing but loving me and being super kind to me. After four months, I cut off contact with them and not in a nice way. Now, they could easily have given up on me because I was really putting obstacles in their way. They could have just said, do you know what? Stuff him, you know? There are plenty of more lost people in this world. Let's just move on. But no. Do you know that over a two-week period, three of these people fasted over their lunch times and met together to pray for me and others who weren't yet disciples, they prayed for an hour that we'd become Christians. Now there's perseverance in disciple making, isn't it? Persistence. I thank God for that. But making disciples and growing disciples requires perseverance in us. We cannot possibly give up the proclaiming the prayer, and being the people that God has employed in this work of making disciples. So let's summarize these four Ps, shall we, in a sentence. And you've got most of this on your sheet. Disciples are made by the persevering proclamation of the word of God, by the people of God, in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. I think we would do well to just lodge that in our brains and memorize each of these summary statements that we're walking through in these five key convictions and the elements of disciple making. Disciples are made by the persevering proclamation of the word of God, by the people of God, in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. Now here's point two in our talk tonight. I want to say that this helps us understand something of the practical simplicity of disciple making. You don't need to be a genius to do this. You don't need to be some amazing theologian to do this. Everybody can do it. Indeed, Christ calls on everybody to do it. And I want us to do two things. Just as we try and drive this home and apply it to our own hearts and circumstances, I want you to picture it, and I want you to practice it. Okay? Picture it. Uh, if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll know that we're building a diagram. Um, this is what they do in the Vine Project book. It's very, very helpful for us. So we're building a diagram which helpfully contains all the components we've looked at so far and the new ones that we're including each week. Now, my encouragement for you is to study this diagram that we're building and try and understand it, try and memorize it. Let's look at it again. How is a person transferred from that darkness there, that domain of darkness, into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus? How do we make disciples of those people that are lined up there, uh, some of whom are closer to the cross than others, I would note? By help, the answer is simple. By helping him or her come to an understanding of the death of Christ that they might repent and believe the good news. Okay? To understand the gospel that they might respond to it. 
Now, how do we get those people who are there in the domain of darkness, how do we get them to move to that point when they are repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus? Well, by the persevering proclamation of the word of God by the people of God and prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. Simple. Now, what about these people who have already repented of their sin through trusting Jesus, that's the cross in the middle. What about these Christ learners, these disciples who are in the light, in the kingdom of the Son? What are we trying to do with them? We're trying to move them towards maturity, towards that end goal, remember, of that white hot worship gathered round the eternal throne of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. What do we do with these folks? Well, we want to help them devote themselves to learning and keeping the teachings of Jesus. Remember from last week, unlearning the old stuff that Jesus wants us to unlearn. Learning the new stuff, the commandments and teachings that Jesus wants us to keep. How on earth are we going to do that, Charlotte Chapel? Well, guess what? It's by the persevering proclamation of the word of God, by the people of God, in prayerful dependence of the spirit of God. See, it's so simple. Now, our problem is not that we haven't heard this. And our problem is not that we don't understand the simplicity of it. Our problem is that we either allow other things to distract us from this, and therefore we don't persevere in this task, or we make disciple-making into some great, big, scary thing when, in fact, it's really quite simple. It's as simple as helping people, wherever they are, take a step to the right, either, if they're in the domain of darkness, one step towards Christ and his cross, or, if they are in the kingdom of the Son, one more step towards maturity. That's what the arrow there represents. And that is what I would like us to practice. That's what I would like us to do. You see, the goal of every form of disciple-making, it should be as simple as helping each person that we know, wherever they happen to be, take a step closer to Christ. Now, some are far away, like Jason, the guy I run a kids' club with. Uh, he's far away, he lacks knowledge. Uh, his heart is quite hard. In fact, his heart is well and truly captivated by a ton of other idols. There's quite a bit of work to do. Others are closer. They are hearing the gospel and considering it, uh, like Mark. Happy for me to read the Bible with him. Happy to talk about it not really that happy to hear me say things that point out where he's not living it out. Not quite happy to hear some of my doubts when sometimes I have rarely have, sadly, have the courage to tell him. Who do you know? Fill in the names. Who do you know? They might be people that you live beside. Actually, some of these people might be your kids. Uh, these are some of the disciples that the Lord has called us to make. Where are you in this journey? Where are your kids? Where are your friends? 
Other people have believed the gospel and are just setting out and becoming like Jesus, like Howard, the keen bean. Others are mature, close to Christ. You want your daughters to grow up to marry someone like him or her. Who, who is that for you in your life? How can we disciple these people? I mean, even with Gary, the mature one, there's still room to grow. Wherever someone is at, everyone can still be moved one step to the right, one step closer to Christ, and that's our job as a church family. That's what disciple makers do. Now, what does taking one step to the right look like for my four friends as we finish? Well, for Jason, it's really quite simple. It's, it's asking him out for a coffee or drink and chatting a bit more about what he believes. I naturally expect to have an opportunity to pitch in with something that clears up or clarifies what a Christian actually believes. It's not just all about believing in ghosts. I don't know if I meant to say that, but it, I can clarify exactly what I am as a Christian. What it means to take the designation Christian. I can teach him stuff that the Bible actually teaches. For Mark, there is no doubt for me it is to prioritize this one-to-one. -one. Here's where the distraction comes in. I can excuse myself from that incredible opportunity, incredible opportunity to be reading the Bible on a regular basis with a non-Christian who actually wants to read it. And yet I can find myself saying, Joe, I've got other things to do, I'm a busy man. It's ridiculous. Everything else moves for that doesn't it? You're like, yes, Liam, you're stupid. So I'm going to prioritize that one-to-one. -one. And I'm going to demonstrate that that's a priority by getting these things, these dates, these appointments in my calendar over the next two months. Four of them at least. I'm going to be intensely practical about that and not just about putting it in my calendar. I'm going to pray with dependence on God's Holy Spirit for the courage, the courage to address what I see in him. I'm gonna re-speak the word of God in dependence on the Holy Spirit, knowing that I'm the one that's God, that God has employed to speak into his life. As far as I'm aware, no one else is doing this. And I'm just gonna trust in God's sovereignty and get on with it. Or what about Gary? Gary, the mature disciple, the one to look up to. Well, for Gary, it's, it's to get him and his wife around for a meal and figure out how to get him discipling younger men in the church who can really benefit from his wisdom. You see, I think the thing that will help Gary to take a step to the right and be much more effective in disciple-making in the life of the church family and making new Christ learners out there is to take him away from the four or five or seven or nine other things that he's involved in and focus him in on this one particular thing. He'd be much better doing that, though he can do all these things wonderfully. And if you're, wanting, if you're looking for leaders for a ministry, he's one of the first guys you're going to try and approach. But it's anti-disciple making. He's much better over here 
And I think me discipling him might involve encouraging him to think about that, whether or not that may be something that he could do. What would it be for the non-Christian friends or the fellow members in Charlotte Chapel that you know? As I said, fill in the names here. Think of the people that you could put into this diagram. Picture the diagram. Practice this disciple-making methodology. Because if the goal of every single Christ learner in our church, if the goal of every ministry in our church can be viewed simply as helping any individual take one step to the right towards Christ or towards maturity in Christ, then this is something that we can all embrace with confidence. And who knows, one year, four years, ten years down the line, who knows how effective this could be. Do you know what? Whether it's effective or not, we have to do it. We have to do whatever it takes to see as many people come to Christ and as, ma- and as many Christians grown in Christ as we possibly can. How do we do that? Simply by perseveringly proclaiming the word of God as the people of God in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. Like we did last week and the week before, we're going to take some time to respond. I've got a few response points on screen that we can work through over the next three or four minutes. Let me read them out for you. Uh, Perhaps you want to think of one uh, non-Christian you know. How can you make that person a disciple? What's the next step to the right for that person in becoming a Christian? Uh, Why don't you think about that and pray about that and ask God to give you opportunity to advance that? Or maybe you want to think of one person in your growth group or other small group like YAC or IF, Time Out, Sunday School, whatever. What is the next step in that person growing in Christ? We've got that responsibility for each other. What, What is it for them to move towards maturity? Something to unlearn, something to learn? Pray about that and for opportunities to speak. Why don't you look at the four P's on your sermon guide? You could identify the one you struggle with the most or the one you think Charlotte Chapel struggles with the most and ask God to help you and us as a church family to change. Uh, Four, maybe you want to study the diagram on the sheet. In your mind, walk through each component as a means of memorizing it and pray that God would help you get to grips with this. And lastly, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you can spend this time just thinking about what's been said tonight. What rings true for you? What do you agree with? Uh, What do you disagree with? What questions do you maybe have after hearing what you've heard? And then think about that and then think of one question you might ask um, either myself or a a Christian friend uh, that came with you tonight. Uh, let's, Let's do that. Let's take two or three minutes just to respond in the quietness, and then we're going to praise him. Let's bow our heads.